Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, if you can hear me and, and the uh, volume is, is a good volume for you, uh, just please uh, go ahead and just type in the chat that the, the, the audio is good. I had a, a computer failure this week. Fortunately, I have a backup laptop, so I'm running off the backup, but it means that I had to integrate it with uh, the rest of the technology. So I'm not 100% sure uh, how I'm coming in. And uh, just look at the chats. I see Pastor Marianne and, and Sister Christine, Sandra, Stefan and Sandy, Marianne, Sister with Love, JD, Stefan and Sandy again. Uh, welcome, Marlene. Wonderful. Uh, good to see everybody there. And I'll just quickly check here as well. Um, Facebook and YouTube. I see Lee and Lex, Donna, Denise, uh, Posenato, Donna again. Wonderful. Welcome, everybody. And uh, loud and clear, wonderful, excellent. So that, uh, God, God, God be praised, uh, that worked really well. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Of course, today is a big day for those of our brethren uh, who are uh, south of us, uh, south of the border. Um, but I, I would say for the whole world, uh, as goes America, uh, so goes the whole world. And I, I know that many brethren uh, maybe even hate America, don't care about America, something that America is Babylon. Uh, I think we have to understand that uh, the future uh, ahead, uh, when America falls to the Marxists, uh, the future ahead is not bright for, for Christians, for, for any of God's people. Um, and at the same time, that's good news. Uh, it's sort of a good news, bad news. As we understand the scriptures, uh, America's uh, hegemony has to collapse in order for the beast power to rise and have its way in the world, and in order for the Middle East uh, to go the way of, of the prophecies. Uh, in order for Jerusalem uh, to suffer as it, as it is deemed to suffer. Uh, so I think we have to keep our wits about us. Um, we have to make sure we are engaged, but not, you know, caught up in it, but engaged and aware and, and following. So let's open with a word of prayer and let's get into the study for tonight. Uh, God willing, we'll be covering Psalms uh, 96 and uh, 97 this evening. We'll open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you as we always do. Uh, just ever so grateful that of all the billions of people on the planet today, in fact, of who have ever lived, uh, so few have been given this privilege that we have to open up these ancient scriptures, these ancient texts that have been translated uh, into our language that we have access to on our computers, on our phones, on our tablets, uh, in a physical form. It's just so easy for us to access your word or translations of your word. And, and understand what these prophets saw and what they wrote and how they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and that we can now be inspired to hunger and thirst for this knowledge in a world of great darkness and chaos. So we thank you for this, Father, and pray you'll continue to bless us as we dig and seek to understand your word. We're also praying now, Father, on this date of January 6th, 2021. Uh, a significant day for our American brethren. Uh, we know that America could not exist. It is impossible for America to exist without your grace. And so, Father, you have blessed this nation in a peculiar way. You have given it a, a strength and a power that is impossible for human beings to achieve by themselves. And so we thank you for the influence uh, that America, the positive influence, obviously there's been a lot of corruption and negative influence, but we do thank you for the overall positive contribution 
that America has made to the world. And Father, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that nobody can hold that office of the most powerful country in the world right now without your permission. And so, Father, we accept your will. We pray for your will to be done. And we pray, Father, that we are able to function and operate according to your will, no matter what the outcome. We thank you and we praise you. We ask that you would bless our study now and deepen our understanding and faith and conviction. And all of this we ask in the mighty and holy name of our Lord, our Savior, our soon coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. So, uh, brethren, we are going to uh, cover, God willing, Psalm 96 and Psalm 97. So let's get right into it. And uh, just as we get into the Psalms for this evening, what I would like to do is uh, just go back. Remember, beginning in Psalm 90, these are the enthronement psalms. And so these are psalms that that celebrate uh, Jesus Christ uh, being inducted as king of the world, the earth's rightful ruler in place, and Israel celebrating their king. And and so we've covered, we're now coming into Psalm 96, but just so that we get the momentum, I just want to go back to Psalm 90, pick up a few key verses from each of these psalms. I also want to tie them to Isaiah. We did cover uh, second Isaiah, that's uh, Isaiah chapter 40 to 66, which is sort of the New Testament, if you can call it that, New Testament Isaiah. And then 1 to 39, God willing, we'll cover after we hit uh, Psalm 106 of book 4. Uh, and then we'll go back and we'll cover first Isaiah, 1, 1 to 39. And uh, there's so much in that book, in his prophecies, about singing to the Lord and singing in celebration, although there's a lot of, you know, God's very angry in his judgment, not only on Israel and Judah, but on the whole world. Uh, there's a lot in there, but there's also a lot of grace and a lot of mercy and blessing and so much instruction to sing. And, and we, I just want to see, make sure we see the connection between Isaiah's instructions to sing and celebrate and what we see here in the enthronement psalms. And uh, also, as we review those scriptures in Second Isaiah, uh, to be mindful, I'll touch on some scriptures in First Isaiah as well, and just give us a taste for what we'll be covering when we do, in fact, um, get into the prophecies of First Isaiah. So let's just quickly go back and go to um, Psalm 90 and verse 7. He says here, uh, and just by way of reminder, we, we covered these already. Uh, so just, I'm just going to pick out some, some scriptures. Verse 7. For we are consumed or destroyed by your anger. Oh, yes. They have incurred God's wrath. These are the c- curse clauses of the covenant that have been activated, showing God's faithfulness to his word. We are destroyed by your anger, and by your wrath are we troubled. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So this is the situation that Israel has brought upon themselves, but it's not the end. It should be the end. If God was a man, if God had, you know, the the emotional framework of a human being, it would be over. He would divorce these people and it's done. But he's God, he's not man. And so even though they have brought this situation upon themselves, we see tremendous um, uh, faithfulness to the covenant by God. Well, let's continue. Psalm 91, verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. So here now is a faithful worshiper 
of Yahweh or Jehovah who can rely on him. And, and as we see in the opening of every, you know, he's, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Verse seven. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. So something is happening here of God's intervention for Israel. Psalm 92. A psalm or song for the Sabbath day. The only psalm that is devoted to celebrating the Sabbath and what we saw when we covered that together was that the Sabbath is symbolic of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And this is, in fact, pointing to that millennial rest and celebrating that millennial rest. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto your name, O Most High. So now there's this great celebration and and, and we're coming into the millennium and and Israel can sing praises unto the, the, the Most High. And we, as first fruits Israel, we certainly will be singing praises to the Most High, to show forth your loving kindness, your chesed, and in the morning, and your amunah, your faithfulness. Your, <laughs> Pastor Murray shared, uh, I think most people have seen it, this uh, complete imbecile and idiot uh, cl- closing his prayer with amen and a woman. Uh, has no idea what amen means. has nothing to do with gender. It's from the Hebrew amunah, amen, meaning be it so, uh, every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. This God loves music and he loves that we praise him in song. Which is a very important point for us to point out to the Muslims who want to say it's the same God. Because Muhammad had uh, epilepsy and any sudden sounds could, could trigger an epileptic seizure for him. He ruled out music. He ruled out animals like dogs because the dog could suddenly start barking and that would trigger him. And so these Muslims who have no joy of music, who cannot have the joy of a, a pet like a dog, such an amazing creature. In fact, you'll see them hunting down dogs and torturing them because they believe that dogs are demonic. Uh, but this, this God loves music. Your faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. Psalm 93. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh reigns. He is clothed with majesty. This, this is the world we're heading into. I was just saying to my wife over dinner, uh, imagine the world when God is here. And this insanity of these wonderful human beings with incredible minds and capabilities who don't know God, who operate on a day-to-day basis as if he doesn't exist. All of that will be history. And we will be living in a world globally where everybody knows that God is on earth and he's seated in Jerusalem, and they can go to him year upon year, season upon season, and worship him, and his instructions will be all over the world. This is what we're seeing in these enthronement psalms. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he has girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Psalm 94 Understand you brutish among the people. These are Israelite people. We mustn't think Israel righteous, Judah righteous. No, 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 no. Only a rem- There's always a remnant. But on the whole, we must think Israel wicked, Judah evil. That's, I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. If we will take the time to actually read the scriptures, when we hear Israel, we must think right away stiff-necked people. 
understand you brutish among the people. And then, you know, there's the cascading now from ancient Israel into first fruits Israel. And uh, unfortunately, when we read the scriptures, they're not kind to first fruits Israel. They're not kind to the church. Many will be deceived. Many will betray. Many will have their uh, agape love run cold. Brutish. Many will be brutish among the people. And that's why we warn. That's why we study these scriptures and we don't, we don't stray from the word of God. We don't get caught up in movements. We don't get caught up in, in the texts of men. Because we don't want to be seduced and find ourselves brutish among the people. Understand you brutish among the people and you fools. When will you be wise? Time is running out and I'm reminded of Pastor Murray's sermon, The Compass and the Clock. The clock is against us. Time is, look, look what's happening in America now. And America is sort of this, we don't recognize it, but it's this kind of stabilizing force in the world, especially in the Middle East. And the previous administration never spoke of America as an amazing, exceptional country. Never. In fact, the opposite. And if the administration changes to more of what we had previously, we're going to see the Middle East explode. And if Black Lives Matter, somebody needs to tell the previous administration and somebody needs to tell the administration coming in because they don't care about these lives. And many, many black lives are going to be lost. When will you be wise? Verse 14. For the Lord, listen to this. And we emphasized this in Psalm 94 when we covered it, but this is a critical verse. Yehovah, the Lord Yahweh, he will not cast off his people. Neither will he forsake his inheritance. His inheritance is Israel. There's no replacement theology here. It's impossible. Replacement theology is an accusation against God that he cannot or he does not keep his word, that he is unfaithful to the covenant. And the scripture says otherwise. The scripture says his people are unfaithful to the covenant, but he will never turn from the covenant. Never. The covenant is an eternal covenant. He will not cast off Israel, nor will he forsake his inheritance. So he's coming to inherit Israel. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord, because he's, he's faithful. So this is an instruction to Israel. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This is fixed. All the danger that is going to explode in the Middle East in the near future and, and the havoc that Jerusalem is going to experience, there's going to be somebody on the earth that's going to turn to Jerusalem with words of comfort and words of joy. And then it's going to be fulfilled because Christ is coming to Jerusalem to save Jerusalem. To, and to, to redeem Israel from the four corners of the earth. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence. That means he's on earth now. And it's time for them to come before his presence with thanksgiving. These are the same people or, or, or descendants of the people that hated him, that put him to death, that pierced him. And now they've come to their senses. 
and they're coming before his presence with thanksgiving because he has come to save them and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. These same psalms are, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in them that we don't fully understand, but when he returns, everything will be made known. And there will be psalms that will be put to music, and they will be so much joy praising Jesus Christ on earth. For the Lord, Yehovah, is a great God. And listen, listen, and a great king above all gods. So there are gods. Elohim, there are powerful uh, spiritual beings and powerful human beings that are in the roles of gods. But listen, <laughs> Jehovah is above them all. And Jehovah has a plan. And there is no God on earth or anywhere in the heavens that can stop the counsel of the Lord. That's why he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying, my counsel, that is my plans, what I have established for Israel, shall stand. Now, let's compare this to Isaiah. Let's quickly just go to Isaiah, even the name Isaiah. And I know some of you say I pronounce it funny. I think we all pronounce it funny. Uh, the Hebrew, uh, let's see if I can say his name in Hebrew, if I can remember it. Yeshua Yahu. Yeshua Yahu. Which really means just in his name. Jehovah saves. So the very name of Isaiah, we don't have to be afraid of the prophecies of Isaiah. The very name that he has been given is that God saves. God saves who? God saves Israel. God will not forsake his inheritance. And so packaged in this wonderful book is the salvation of Israel. And so we can now couple this with the Psalms, the enthronement Psalms. And we'll just quickly do a quick survey through Isaiah, just pick up some verses. In Isaiah 8 and verse 17, he says, And I will wait upon Jehovah. Listen, that hides his face from the house of Jacob. This is the situation, unfortunately, that we are in right now. Everyone, there's no God. Where's, where's the evidence of God? I don't believe in God. I believe in evolution. I believe in science. Show me the science. I don't believe in God. Why is this? Because he's in hiding. He is deliberately hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And if he's hiding it from the house of Jacob, is he going to show it to the Gentiles? He is hidden. That's why the psalm says, rise up, O Lord. Look what's happening. Rise up, O Lord. Make yourself known. Well, the prophet understands that God is in hiding, but his will will be done. And so he is determined as we should be. And no matter, and, and I don't know what's going to happen in America right now. We might be on the verge of a civil war. Who knows? But we cannot get caught up in all of this. We need to be engaged, but dispassionate. We're aware, we're watching, we're praying, we're understanding, we're seeing things unfold. But we're not going to take up guns and kill people. We're going to wait upon the Lord, understanding that right now we're in the period where he hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Blessed are those who, who, who uh, seek him and take joy in his appearance. When he appears, many are going to be terrified. His appearance is not good news for most. But for those who look for him, for those who are waiting upon him, there's going to be great joy. Isaiah 10, verse 21. The remnant shall return 
This is the prophetic word. This cannot be undone. There's no replacement theology. The remnant of Israel shall return. Even the remnant of Jacob. That's all 12 tribes. It doesn't say the remnant of Judah. Even though the covenant now is only with Judah, God's commitment to Abraham means ultimately he's going to join Israel and Judah together into one stick. And so when he returns, he's going to gather Israel, the sons of Jacob, from the four corners of the earth. The remnant shall return. This is the prophetic word. Cannot be undone. Doesn't matter what the Gentiles do. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. Chapter 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. This is tomorrow's news today. If you want to know what, what the news is going to be tomorrow, I have it. Israel is going to suffer like no nation has ever suffered. It's going to be a time of tribulation the world has never seen. And, and in the midst of all of that, somebody must faithfully declare that the Lord, Jehovah, is faithful to the covenant and he will, he will indeed have mercy upon Jacob and will yet choose Israel and do what? Because the covenant is not just a relationship. It has to do with real estate. The covenant involves land. And so he will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. Their land. Doesn't matter who makes a claim to the land. It's what God says. It's who God has deeded the land to. And so through all this violence and upheaval and envy, God is going to yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them. Meaning the strangers are going to repent and acknowledge that there's only one God, and it's the God of Jacob. And they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. These same people who were persecuting the house of Jacob, these same people who despised Jacob, who had their own narrative running in their heads based on false teachings, all of that will be gone. And there'll be one narrative, reality, shared by the whole world. And it's that God. The God of Jacob is the, is the creator of the whole universe and that he has chosen Jacob. And then all Gentiles will cleave to the house of Jacob and J the house of Jacob will be established as the head nations of the whole earth. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. They're going to help bringing Israel to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord, for servants and handmaids. And, and a lot of the Jews, I think they will read something like this and just feel very lofty and not understand why this is the case and not understand what they have to go through, the beating that they have to take in order to soften their hearts and circumcise their hearts so that they, in fact, can be the servants of the Lord. But they will be the head nation in the future. And these are human beings that, that the prophet is talking about. These, these humans of the house of Israel will possess the strangers, the Gentiles, in the land of the Lord. And God will be on earth. And we will be with him overseeing all of this. But they're going to possess the Gentiles in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives. That again is going back to Deuteronomy. That those who held you captive, you will have them hold them as captives. They shall take them captives whose, there it is, whose captives they were and they shall rule over their oppressors. So as we go through uh, this near future, this very dark near future of terrible oppression, torture, and turmoil, we have to see through it, and we have to declare the gospel, the good news, 
to all nations through this period of darkness. Somebody on the planet has to understand what God is doing and make it known. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give you rest from your sorrow and from your fear. So there's going to be a lot of sorrow and a lot of fear. That's what we're heading into. But in the day that the Lord shall give Israel rest from your sorrow and from your fear and from the hard bondage wherein you were made to serve. So hard that that's the future. All of the technology and the military prowess, it's meaningless. It's going to go away. And the Gentiles, we're heading into the times of the Gentiles, and they're going to have the upper hand. And there's going to be hard bondage. The Holocaust was just a dress rehearsal. And from the hard bondage wherein you were made to serve. Isaiah 25, verse 1. We often, uh, certainly I like to preach on this during the feast. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. He declared these counsels from, from the beginning. He declared the end from ancient times. And, and, and his counsel will stand from the beginning. He, from, he declared the beginning from the, from the end. His plans will stand. Why? They're faithfulness and truth. No, nobody can, can withstand God's word. For you have made a city of a heap. So there is going to be so much ruin in Jerusalem. And God is going to make this beautiful city out of it. For you have made a city of a, of a, you have made a city of a heap, of a defensed city, a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. So as Jerusalem is going to be built up, the Gentiles, and their tremendous, beautiful palaces, and, and it's just going to be so glorious what they built. God is bringing that down, and it will never be built again. Think of um, Malachi, uh, how he says in Malachi 1 that um, these people, they're going to try to rebuild, and God will destroy it, and they'll be known as the border of wickedness forever. Therefore, shall the strong people glorify you, the city of the terrible nations shall fear you. So they, they will understand this God. You don't mess with this God. He's giving them you know, a bit of rope to hang themselves. But eventually it's all coming down. They're going to realize just how powerful this God who's been hiding himself, just how powerful he is. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress. And I have to remind you, I've said this before, but it, it, it bears repeating. The poor are not necessarily the poor right now. It's the poor at his return. And so there are people right now who are poor, who are going to inherit great wealth once the, once the times of the Gentiles comes into full fruition. And there are people who are wealthy right now who are going to lose it all. Again, the Holocaust was a dress rehearsal. They're going to have to flee and leave all their wealth. Wealth will mean nothing. But God is coming, and this is Isaiah 61 and, and, and uh, Luke 4. The gospel is, is good news for the poor, those who choose, because no man will be able to buy or sell unless they take the mark of the beast. And so those who choose not to take the mark of the beast are going to be impoverished. And it doesn't say they won't be able to eat or drink, but they won't be able to buy or sell. And wealth is made through trade, through transactions. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. This is so psalmic. A shadow from the heat 
when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. And you even can even kind of feel the explosive nature of Hamas, Hezbollah, as we read these, the blast of the terrible ones is as, as a storm against the wall. God is coming to save. This is what salvation means to Israel. Chapter 26, verse 7. The way of the just is uprightness. You, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Yes, the way of your judgments, O Lord, have we waited for you. The desire of our soul is to your name. And so when you say the way of your judgments, think justice. Think justice here. And this is where, you know, we really have to take exception with those um, brethren who are looking for some other form of justice besides the justice that God brings. Social justice, racial justice, family justice. Anytime they put an adjective in front of the word justice, they are being manipulated by Marxists. And they're, they're in opposition to the word of God. We just want justice. The way of God's justice, that's what we're looking for, nothing else. Because all these other types of justice are nothing but manipulation. And they, they, they lead to nothing but ruin and oppression and the destruction of God's people. Because it comes from the mind, the clever mind of the devil. So we are looking here. This is what we want. We want what the scriptures, this is what, what the prophets want. Yes, in the way of your justice, in the way of your judgment, the Marxists don't want God's justice. They want, you know, when, when God's justice means that Israel is the head nation. That, that's God's justice. That he's coming to judge those nations. He's coming to judge Israel, and then he's coming to judge those nations that try to oppress Israel. That's God's justice. Marxists don't want that. They want to stamp Israel out. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to your name. <clears throat> and to the remembrance of you. They're trying to stamp the remembrance of God out. With my soul have I desired you in the night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek you early. So this is somebody whose mind is stayed on the Lord. In the middle of the night, he's thinking of God and he's yearning for God. And when he wakes up in the morning, first thing is, is God is on his mind. That's how we should be, brethren. For when your justice... When your justice, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will finally learn righteousness. It's just, it's just so tragic. I can't, I can't say enough how tragic it is that people who study God's word are running after Marxist social justice. It's, just, it's so ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And yet they're so passionate about it. And they will fight me over it and fight others who stand against it. It's unbelievable because this social justice is evil. It's evil and it has nothing to do with God. In fact, it works against God's judgments. But finally, God is being quiet right now. He's hiding his face. And in the process of hiding, he's seeing who's who. Even ministers are sometimes supporting these people who are running after Marxist social justice. Unbelievable. But when God's justice, when God's judgments are in the earth, Finally, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. All this social justice, and all, it doesn't teach righteousness. 
It just teaches envy and covetousness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. So you can give him social justice. You can show him favor, give him a break, and yet will he not learn righteousness. Social justice, you give them, and they're still going loot and shoot. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. And this is what some of our brethren are fighting for. They're fighting to show favor to the wicked. That people who will loot and shoot, a man who will take a a pistol and stick it in a pregnant woman's uh, stomach and say, I'll blow your baby's brains out along with your spine if you don't give me money, that they want to show favor to these people. And they can do that. And yet when they fight for this and show favor to these people, they won't learn righteousness. There's a saying in Jamaica, sorry for Maga dog, Maga dog come bite you. It means that there's a little skinny dog on the road and you feel sorry for it. So you give it, you go and try to try and feed it and it turns around and it bites you. That, that's what, that's what we're seeing here. That it's only with God's justice that we can finally get the wicked to learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, he will still deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. So all of this talk of social justice, absent of the knowledge of the majesty of the Lord, is complete. It's it's more than nonsense. It's evil. And so, brethren, we were pleading with our brethren, and maybe you can reach them, because I don't know of any who have said, you know what, I was wrong about this. So, But maybe you can reach them and say to them, look, just quote this verse. You can show favor to the wicked, but they won't learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they'll deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed of their envy at the people. So Marxism is all about envy. And when God comes, they'll finally see and they'll be ashamed for their envy. Yeah, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Isaiah 30, verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, speaking to Israel. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you, Israel. For the Lord is a God of judgment. We want justice? You know what? That's what, that's God's job. That's, that, that actually defines job. That actually defines God. Jehovah is a God of judgment. That's what he's all about. And that's what we wait for. Blessed are all they that wait for him. So some are impatient. What do we want? Social justice. When do we want it? We want it now. What do we want? Social justice. When do we want it? We want it now. Yeah, go ahead. And let's see the fruit of it. Because Christ says, by their fruit shall you know them. So go ahead. Knock yourself out. Our decision is to wait. To look earnestly for his return. And we will suffer whatever abuse or whatever disrespect or or being uh, alienated from from good, pleasant society, polite society, uh, being unable to buy or or sell. We'll suffer all of that. Why? Because we understand what the prophet taught, that Jehovah is a God of judgment. And we're going to wait for him and bless it. And that's, you know, we don't fully understand what that word means, but let's just say it. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Verse 19, why? For the people, this is Israel, scattered all over the earth. This is, this is the counsel of the Lord, that the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. 
So this is the exact opposite of what mankind wants. And if the administration changes in America, uh, Israel's going to not have any support. And uh, all nations are going to come against Jerusalem and, and remove and, and desire to remove these people completely out of the land. But the prophecy says that the people shall dwell in Zion. In fact, they'll dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of your cry. So somebody has to understand this and preach this. And the world will hate us for it. All nations will hate us for his name's sake. But we're going to preach this good news. He will be very gracious unto you, Israel, at the voice of your cry, when he shall hear it. So you've got to get to the point where you repent, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, and you cry out to him. And when you finally do that with a whole entire sincere heart, he shall hear it, and he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, this is Israel, and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers, that's first fruits Israel. So even though this is what Israel has to go through, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore. So the Lord is hidden right now, and so are his teachers. But when the Lord appears, his teachers appear with him. And this is why we wait for the Lord. And we're not getting caught up in this world. There's nothing in this world. There's no government in this world that is good. Certainly some are better than others. But they're all human and they're all evil. It's just degrees of evil. And yet we must pray for the king so that we can do our work. We understand that when God puts these men in different offices, that has an impact on the work that we do. And there's a certain amount that, of work that we want to get done before the night falls. So Israel, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not first fruits Israel, your teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Isaiah 41, verse 14, Fear not, you worm Jacob, this helpless, unable to defend yourself, and you men of Israel. I will help you, says Jehovah and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So Israel's going to be helped by the Holy One of Israel. And then the end of Isaiah, uh, chapter 66, this is how the book ends. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. And so, brethren, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. If we're out there marching and demanding rights and, and, and coupling up with evil Marxists, would we be described by God as someone who's poor and of a contrite spirit? When we're out there marching and shouting and gallivanting with the wicked? Would God look down from heaven and say, you know, there's somebody of a contrite spirit? Or is it more likely that it's people who remove themselves from these Marxist movements, separate themselves from this wickedness, call a spade a spade, and rely on the word of God and just, you know what, wait for him. So this is who God looks for, him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. When, when somebody shows us the word of God, we tremble. Like, wow, oh dear, I, I, I'm, I'm in the wrong. 
So we, we, we respond to the word of God. He that kills an ox is as if he slew a man. So think of the whole rituals of bringing offerings to God. So this is part of the, the um, ritual worship system, which we still have today in a different way. So just to use our imagination a little bit to be able to apply this to the church. He that kills an ox is as if he slew a man. And he that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. And he that offers an oblation as if he offered the swine's, offered swine's blood. He that burns incense as if he blessed an idol. So all of these rituals can make human beings feel very righteous. And in fact, you can see that if you study again a religion like a religion like Islam, where people have these rituals that they go through, and that makes them feel and think that they're righteous. It gives them the narrative that they're righteous, while at the same time do wicked, wicked things. And the church is the same way. That we can go through these rituals of keeping the Sabbath and doing our offerings and doing whatever we do as a ritual. And we feed ourselves the narrative that we are righteous people. As far as God is saying, he's looking at the wickedness and saying, I don't accept it. Yes. They have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. And the worship of Baal is, a, is an abomination. And there are Christians who delight in the worship of Baalim. And we need to show them the word of God so that they'll tremble. And ministers, faithful ministers need to show this so that brethren will tremble. Let's quickly now look at Revelation for some of, again, these singing that we see in the Psalms where he says, and they sung a new song. So not just Israel now, but first fruits Israel. He's going to be singing. And so here in Revelation 5 and verse 9, we see they sung a new song saying, you are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. So these are the lyrics in this new song. For you were slain and have redeemed us God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So this is first fruits Israel that is going to be singing this, this new song. In Revelation 14 and verse 3, and they sung, and this is the 144,000. We covered that when we talked about, uh, when we studied Revelation. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. So there's a new song that they're singing, that we are singing. And before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song except the 144,000. So it's exclusive, which were redeemed from the earth. With all of that, let's continue now back to the Psalms. Um, in Psalm 96 and verse 4, and did I cover 96 and verse 1? Let me just quickly make sure that we pick up um, 96. I did, I did pick it up, but let me just uh, quickly go back because I, I want to just make sure we pick up Psalm 96. Let me do this. Psalm 96 and verse 1. Many six and verse one. So we saw in Revelation about singing this new song. Psalm ninety six and verse one. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. This is this is the rejoicing. The rejoicing is in the salvation that God has shown to the earth. 
the salvation of Israel. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his, his, this is, listen, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. So the psalmist is saying, look what God has done for Israel, the salvation he has brought to Israel, his faithfulness to the covenant. Declare this in a song and sing it to all the heathen so that they can understand what it is that God was doing in the earth. And so we covered Revelation to see who is singing this new song of God's salvation. Let's come back now to Psalm 96 and verse 4. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Like There's just unbridled enthusiasm in praising this God because of his greatness, because of his faithfulness. Jehovah is great and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. Again, there are gods. There are false gods. There are made-up imaginary gods. But there are Elohim that are real. There are demons that people worship. They might make a physical idol, but the idol is representative of the actual demon. They can make money their god. They can make sex their god. They can make power their god. But there are demons behind these forces. And these people are bowing down to demons and they don't know what they're doing. And there are human beings that are functioning like gods. They are Elohim. They are the powerful ones. But Jehovah is to be feared above all these. So we, we, we ought to fear God rather than men and rather than demons because of the power of this God. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. They, they made nothing. They're just idols. The real God is the creator who made the, the heavens, the whole universe. And this is the God of Jacob. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Praise him. And, and think of now, let's tie this to Isaiah as we plead with the people, the, the, the nations, to worship the God of Jacob. In Isaiah 60 and verse 5, Then you shall see and flow together, and your heart shall fear and be enlarged, speaking to Israel. Why? Why Why will they go through this very um, cathartic and powerful emotive experience? Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto you. God is coming to establish Israel as the head nation. And all the Gentiles are going to bring their wealth over the seas, over the waters. They're going to find every way they can to come to Jerusalem and bring their offerings and bring their wealth to the priests, the physical priests of the Lord, which will be the tribes of Israel. Back to Psalm 96, verse 8. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. So this is instructions to the people. Understand who this God is. He's, he hid himself for so long. Now he's known. Now he's on the earth. And his glory is revealed. And, and, and we are instructing the world, come and bring an offering. Bring your wealth to this great king. 
O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear him, all the earth, not just Israel. The whole earth. Let's stop the insanity. You are human beings that were created in God's image and likeness. What did you think? What was on your mind that you have all of these capabilities? You have this incredible mind. And you thought this just happened to evolve and came out of nothing? Stop the nonsense and acknowledge that you were created in the image and likeness of God, by God himself, for a purpose, and come to understand the counsel of the Lord. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. And let's go back to Isaiah. As we say, to fear before him all the earth. Isaiah 60 and verse 11. Therefore, your gates, Israel, the gates of your city, Jerusalem, shall be open continually. There's going to be such a flow of people coming to worship the Lord. And there's no night there. So your gates will be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night. There's going to be day and night around the earth. But God is going to be in Jerusalem. And it will just be bright all the time. And so the gates are going to be open so people can come and worship. They shall not be shut day nor night. That men may bring unto you the forces of the Gentiles. So God is going to have a physical priesthood on the earth that's going to be administering and looking after the logistics of this worldwide operation of the worship of Jehovah. So, so you will be established, your gates will be open, that the Gentiles, the, 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 the heathen, may bring unto you the forces, the wealth of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. So these kings are like gods, but they're going to come and worship the true God. Now, listen. This is going to happen. This, is the, this has been decreed by God. And here are the consequence. Here's how we know it's going to happen. He says, For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you, shall perish. Listen, let me make sure this is clear. The you in this is not God. God is not saying the nation or kingdom that will not serve God will perish. The prophecy from God, let's just back up a little bit. The prophecy from Jehovah is that Israel's gates will be open continually. So that Gentiles from all over the earth, 24-7, can come and worship God and bring offerings to Israel. To bring all their wealth to Israel for offerings to for God. And then God reinforces this reality that's coming by saying and declaring the nation or kingdom that will not come and serve Israel, the same Israel that they were persecuting and trying to destroy. Now it's all been turned around. Israel has been established by God. And now the nation or kingdom that doesn't come and serve Israel, God will see to it that we'll never see that kingdom or nation again. They'll be wiped off the face of the earth. And this whole, uh, the, the wickedness and the arrogance of man will be gone. And there's going to be great humility in the earth. And great acknowledgement of the covenant between God and Jacob. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations 
shall be utterly wasted. And, and unfortunately, think here, Islamic nations that are so immersed from childhood, from birth, in the hatred of Judah and, and Christians. And they're so bought into this narrative that they believe comes from God, that they just can't bring themselves to acknowledge the primary role of Judah and Israel. As, and, and it's not just maybe one, it's like whole nations might not be able to do this. And God says, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Back to Psalm 96, verse 10. All the scripture ties together. If we can't bring all the scriptures together, it's because we don't understand them properly. And we need to dig deeper. But we're seeing this beautiful integration between the enthronement psalms and the prophecies of Isaiah that speak of the enthronement. Psalm 96 and verse 10. Say among the heathen. <laughs> tell the heathen. So somebody needs to tell the heathen that Jehovah reigns and we will be hated by all nations. We will be hated by the heathen for his namesake. So somebody had their head together. Somebody's been digging into the scriptures and understands what they really mean and what God really means and understands the plan and the counsel of God and is able to say among the heathen, whatever their plans are, whatever their counsels are, whatever their machinations are, somebody's able to say among the heathen, while we speak comfort to Jerusalem, we're able to say among the heathen, the gospel, the good news of God's salvation for Israel. Say among the heathen that Jehovah reigns. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Righteously. And this is not Marxist right, righteous. This is not um, Marxist theory of fairness. This is God's righteousness, meaning he will do things right. He will do things according to the covenant. And we have to look at, again, Deuteronomy 30 gives us the key to understand all of this, how he will judge. And these people who have persecuted Israel and brought this time of tribulation upon Israel, the likes of which the world has never seen, part of this judgment is to reverse that and put all of these curses on those people. He's coming to judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. You know, he brings to mind how Romans 8, the whole world, the whole creation is groaning and travailing and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And here it is. And now when Christ returns and the sons of God are revealed and the world is put right, the heavens rejoice. And all the spiritual beings in the heavens, not just the creation, the created uh, entities in heaven, but the actual beings in the heavens, they're all singing and praising and rejoicing. And let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. There's just such, uh, the whole creation is responding and opening up and expressing in, in incredible joy at the return and the enthronement of Christ. That when he's on earth, there, there won't be anywhere on the earth that's depleted. The whole earth is just going to be so full and expressive of joy. Before the Lord he before the Lord 
for he comes for he comes to judge the earth. And this, brethren, this is the justice. We just, we just have to be patient. Repeatedly we're told, in our patience, we possess our souls. And all those um, brethren that are prophesied to, uh, their, their agape is going to run cold. They're going to betray brethren. They're going to fall into deception. A lot of that is going to come from their impatience. That it's in our patience we possess our souls. So rather than jumping the gun and trying to take matters into our own hands, regardless of how dire the situation looks, we have to be able to see through the situation, to see beyond the situation, to walk by faith and not by sight. That as ugly as it all appears, there there are going to be a people who can see through it all who can look the wicked in the eye and say, do your worst because the Lord is coming and the Lord reigns. He's a mighty God. He's a mighty king. You have no idea what you're up against and we will wait for him. Do your worst. We wait for him. And he's going to renew us and give us new strength and new bodies and a whole new future before the Lord, before he, before he comes, for he comes to judge the earth He's not just coming to judge Israel. He's the God of the whole universe. And he's going to judge all mankind. He comes to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness. And what that means, brethren, is we can predict how he will judge. Because the righteousness by which he will judge is in the scriptures. So once we understand the scriptures, we understand the mind of God. And we understand exactly his opinion on various nations and various peoples and various movements. And we know exactly how he will judge with righteousness. And the people with his truth, there it is right there. He's going to judge the people with his truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. So that is the triumphant ending of Psalm 96, celebrating the enthronement of God. Let's quickly look now at Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Here he is. He's on earth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Over and over and over and over again, we're told that God is a God of justice. And God is a God of righteousness. And he will judge with righteousness. And this is who we wait for. This is, we don't believe in these, this rhetoric and these so-called saviors who come with their bright ideas of how they're going to save the world. All of it is garbage and deception and nonsense. And it's so painful to see brethren deceived by this and even some elders supporting them. So awful. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goes before him. And burns up his enemies round about. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Christ we're waiting for. This is the Christ who's about to appear. He's about to appear and burn up his enemies all round about. Behold, he comes with clouds, says Revelation 1 verse 7. And every eye shall see him. The whole world is going to see. And they also which pierced him. These are the Jews. They're going to see him. But notice as well. The Jews are going to repent and they're going to acknowledge him. But in this time of his return, Revelation 1 verse 7 says, All kindreds of the earth, 
all the heathen, all Gentiles, when they see him on the day of his return, they shall wail because of him. This is not good news for them. This is, this is the worst news possible for them. All the social justice and everything they were running after and trying to establish, when Christ returns, they are going to wail. And, and those of us who've been looking for him, waiting for him, we're going to rejoice. Even so, amen. Psalm 97, verse 4. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. And he told us that in Matthew 24, that when he comes, this lightning's going to lighten the whole world. And the whole earth will see and tremble. It's not a good day for them. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. He's not just the Lord of Israel. He's the Lord of the whole earth. And, and all of this arrogance of human beings, it's incredible. They're just so dismissive of God. Well, he's hiding himself. But now he's known. Now his presence is here. At the presence of the whole earth, the, the, the hills will melt like wax. The heavens declare his righteousness. And all the people, the whole humanity all over the earth, will see his glory. Isaiah says in 44, 23, sing. There's so many instructions in Isaiah to sing because he sees the enthronement. Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. It's done. He did it. He did it. Hallelujah. He did it. What did he do? Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains. O forest, even every tree therein. What has he done? Why this cause for such celebration? What has the Lord done? Tell us, Isaiah. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. That's why he's coming. We, this is what we need to be teaching. That all the trouble that Jacob is about to endure and experience and all of this trauma, somebody needs to be saying, yeah, it's for a season. And it's going to culminate in three and a half years of, of intense tribulation, the likes of which the world has never seen. But on the other side of that, there's going to be a, a redeemed Jacob. The Lord has done it. Faithful to his covenant, he's redeemed Jacob. There's no replacement theology here. And what? He has glorified himself in Israel. And, and he's done it despite the lack of cooperation from this unfaithful wife. He's, he's married to Jacob, and yet she's so unfaithful. And yet the Lord has done it because he's true to his covenant. And now all over the earth, he's being glorified in Israel. And the nation or the kingdom that will not bring their wealth and their offerings to Israel and serve Israel, well, that nation or kingdom will be destroyed. And over the whole face of the earth, the God of the universe will be acknowledged in Jacob. So back to Psalm 97, verse 7. Confounded, confused be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. They're confused. Uh, Isaiah says in another place, fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. They, they had no idea what God was doing. In fact, they didn't even know who God was. They didn't understand the true nature of God. And now that he's here, now that he's enthroned, confounded be all they that serve graven images and that boast themselves of idols. Worship the true God, all you gods, 
all you Elohim, all you powerful spiritual and human beings, worship the God of Jacob. Psalm 97, verse 8. Zion heard. How did they hear? Well, somebody declared it to them. Somebody was faithful to what Isaiah taught and declared it to them. Zion heard and was glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced. Think think end time Judah now. These daughters of Judah rejoiced because of God's judgments. This this is the justice. There's a justice that God has. (laughs) We we need to understand. We, We need to help our brethren to understand that there's a justice that God has. That when he enacts his justice, when he brings his justice to the world, there's a justice that he has that's different from the imaginations of human beings, what they believe is just, the social justice that they're crying out for and persecuting others for. It's not the justice of God. The justice of God, when God brings his justice, Judah rejoices. It's not that there's a justice where everybody's treated the same and and God gives everybody the same thing. No. God's bringing a justice that causes the daughters of Judah to rejoice. At the same time, he says that the nations will wail when he returns. When Christ returns, the Gentiles are going to wail. They're going to hide. They're going to run. They're going to be terrified. But the justice that God is bringing, the daughters of Judah will rejoice. So are we, whatever our definition of justice is that we're pursuing, does it line up with the Psalms? Does it line up with the prophets? He says here, Zion heard. Somebody was comforting Zion. Somebody was declaring the good news to Zion. And they were glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord. Listen to Matthew. What he writes of what Christ said, these, these daughters of Judah, Jerusalem, in Matthew 23, 39, he says, I say unto you, you shall not see me again until you shall say, you, you Judah, you Jews, you're not going to see me again until you're brought to a point where you will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So they, are fi- they finally are brought to this point of repentance where they acknowledge God. And in Matthew 24 and 22, he says, And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. And this is not speaking of just human general flesh all over the earth because, you know, we have nuclear. When I first came into the church, how I read this, and maybe it was how I was taught, but I always thought that, wow, this is amazing. This was written 2,000 years ago before there was nuclear technology. Uh, You know, how did the Bible know? That there would be this capability to kill the whole earth, you know, 15, 25, 100 times over with nuclear technology. That is true, but that's not what this prophecy is saying. Beginning in Matthew 23, this prophecy is all about the judgment on Jerusalem. And it's very focused on the promised land and the inhabitants of that land. And if you're in that land, if you're in Judah, you better flee at this time. Because every Jew and Jewess will be under intense persecution uh, to the point of being killed. And so as Satan is inspiring human beings to destroy Judah and the people of Judah, God finally steps in when Judah cries out to him. 
when they realize they've got nothing, all their military prowess, there's nothing that even America, there's nothing they can turn to. The only God can save them. And they finally acknowledge their Messiah. And God says, except those days should be shortened. No flesh in the region that he's speaking of, Judah, Judea, no Jew would, would live. There should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, because of the covenant that he has with these people, those days shall be shortened. And that's why Zion will be glad. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. There's what we saw in Revelation 1 and verse 7. That the return of Jesus Christ is not social justice for all. It's not Black Lives Matter. It's not Allahu Akbar. It's none of those things. It's the covenant. And it's his faithfulness to the covenant. And now finally, we're going to see this sign. After all, he tells us when all these things are going to happen and, and what the sign of his appearing. He's answering the question the disciples asked. But this is when, and then finally, this is when, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And when that happens, the game is up. Whatever these false narratives were that people were operating under, whatever this deception is that has covered the whole earth, this veil that has covered all humans, Finally, all the nonsense is over. And the God of Jacob, who has been hiding himself for millennia, now reveals himself. And when the God of Jacob reveals himself, then all the tribes of the, all the Gentile tribes of the earth will mourn. The return of Jesus Christ is not a happy day for Gentiles. And this sort of false teaching that people have that you know God is just coming to save the whole world. No, he's coming to save Israel. And the tribes, the Gentile tribes of the earth shall mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Tie this into Zechariah 12 and 14, where it's clear that he's coming with power and great glory to give strength to Judah and to Israel and to save them. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. Who are the elect? It's Israel. He's going to gather together the, and we saw that in Isaiah 60. Tie this with Isaiah 60. That all these people who've been scattered all over the earth in their unfaithfulness according to the covenant, that now God is coming to establish them in their own land. This, this is the first fruits. The first fruits are up. We're, we're with him in the, in the uh, heavens. We meet him in the clouds and we return with him to the earth. But when he returns to the earth, he's going to send his angels to gather the physical elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, really the four corners of the earth. And this is prophecy that we've covered before. It's in Deuteronomy. It's throughout the prophets. Back to Isaiah, back to Psalm 97, verse 9. For you, Lord, are high above all the earth. You are exalted above all Elohim. You that love the Lord. Is that you, brethren? Do you love the Lord and hate evil? You won't fall for Marxist nonsense. You hate Marxism because it's evil. hundred million, over a hundred million human beings made in the image and likeness of God, destroyed in a very degrading way by the philosophy of this man, Karl Marx. Do you hate that, brethren? 
Do you hate evil? You won't fall for this social justice rhetoric nonsense, wickedness. You that love the Lord and hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. And that's, uh, that's our rock. That's our rock. It doesn't matter what happens to us physically. Ultimately, not a hair of our head will be lost. Because he's faithful. And we see his faithfulness to the physical Israelites. How much more faithful will he be to first fruits Israel that love him and that are called according to his purpose? Ye that love the Lord and hate evil. Or you that love the Lord hate evil. It's an imperative. If you love God, stop the nonsense. Hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. And that's the truth of God. That's his righteousness. He will deliver his saints out of the hand. That means we will be in the hand of the wicked. But ultimately, he will deliver the souls of his saints. He preserves the souls of his saints and will deliver us. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. These psalms are so powerful because they're not just, you know, uh, Muhammad. He said he believes in the Psalms. He, he thought that the Psalms are just these sort of singy-songy praise God. And he didn't understand how prophetic the Psalms are and how the Psalms destroy Islam. The Psalms and the Quran cannot coexist. The Psalms destroy the Quran. But he didn't know that. And most people don't understand the power of the Psalms. But when Jesus Christ was on earth, the book that he quoted the most was the Psalms, more than any other book of Scripture. He quoted the Psalms. This is powerful, powerful knowledge packed here for us that we're unpacking and understanding together. We're to rejoice in the Lord. You right. No matter all the chaos around us, 2020 was crazy. 2021 is shaping up to be crazier. And all of this chaos is notwithstanding. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. You righteous and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. In Isaiah 65, he says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. So there's going to be this great reversal. He says, but be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing. This is the agenda of God. This is the strategic objective of, of, of the God of the universe. Are you in? Is, is, this, is, this, is this your agenda as well? Is this what we get excited about? Or do we get excited over Marxist movements being deceived? Or do we stand for this and say, no, this, this is what we rejoice in. This is the zeal of the Lord. This is what he's going to accomplish. This is what he says. God is a creator. He's always creating. He says, but be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing. That means we can look at Jerusalem and see all the explosives that are going to blow up there and, and the horror that is going to befall Jerusalem. And we can see through all of that and we can declare good news. The God of the universe is creating a Jerusalem that will rejoice and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem. God is saying, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, Israel. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. I'm going to put an end to that. 
It's necessary. It's a part of the covenant. It's part of the redemptive process. It's part of the reformation of Judah and Israel. But ultimately, it's not their end. It's just part of the process. This is their end. Rejoice. This is how this is how Isaiah ends. This is the book. Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Now, some people don't love her. Some Christians don't love her. David says, you know, if I forget Jerusalem, may my tongue cleave unto my mouth and may my right hand forget her skill. I'd rather be impoverished than forget Jerusalem. Is that how we feel, brethren? Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. And this will quickly now just end with the great prophecy of Zechariah. Just so we were back and forth between Isaiah and, uh, the, and the enthronement Psalms of 96 and 97. We even went to the end of the book in Revelation and just saw how it all ties together, even in Matthew 23 and 24. It's one text. It's one narrative. Now, let's conclude this understanding of the enthronement of Christ on the earth with the great prophecy of Zechariah in Luke 1, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel that all the traditional Christians run up and down and say, yeah, we believe in the gospels. And again, as Muhammad said, yeah, I believe in the gospels, the Injil, the Injil, the gospels, the Psalms and the Torah. He didn't know what he was talking about because none of those scriptures support Islam. In fact, all of those scriptures reveal that Islam is a force of darkness to do the will of God against Judah and against Israel. But let's end with this beautiful prophecy from Zechariah, the father of John, uh, the father of John the Baptist. And his father Zechariah, listen, listen, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just have the Holy Spirit. This man was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's see what happens when this man is filled with the Holy Spirit. What does he have to say to us? His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So the prophets are subject to the prophets. We learned that in 1 Corinthians 14. No prophet is going to come along and teach something that contradicts what the other prophets taught. Then we know it's a false prophet. But here Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. So the Jews were very familiar with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is not some new Christian Trinitarian concept. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. What did he have to say? Saying, blessed be the Lord God of who? Who? This man who knows that Jesus Christ is going to be born six months after his son. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is what the Holy Spirit informed Zechariah, that Jesus Christ's entry into the earth is the redemption of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The, the, Jesus Christ is a horn of salvation for who? For us. Who's us? Israel. But it's done in the house of his servant David, according to the prophecy and according to the covenants. 
that the, the Messiah must come through David, but the Messiah is for Israel. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, so Zechariah understood what the prophets spoke. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we, that is Israel, should be saved from who? The Gentiles. Jesus Christ came, and Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, understood this, that his purpose for coming as the Holy One of Israel was to do what Israel could not do, so that legally and lawfully, Israel could be redeemed and not destroyed. That we should be saved from our enemies, the Gentiles, and from the hand of all that hate us, think Deuteronomy 30. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, because God is a God of faithfulness. And so these promises are outstanding. And God, it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to go back on his oath. It's impossible for God to break covenant. So Zechariah, full of the Holy Spirit, understands that Jesus Christ has come to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. To, to whose fathers? To the Gentiles? To perform the mercy promised to the Israelite fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to remember his holy covenant. That's what, throughout the Psalms, we constantly hear of his chesed, his faithful covenant love. And, and he has sent now Christ into the earth to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And we saw that in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, whereby two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. And then people want to make up what are these immutable things. The two immutable things are it's, it's impossible for God to lie. And he made a, uh, an, an oath. He made a promise. So he's not going to break the promise. But then he made an oath on top of it. These are two things that's in, in which it's impossible for him to lie. So that we may have strong consolation. That he swore this to our father Abraham. That he would grant unto us Israel. This is the oath that he has made. If we, if we back away from verse uh, 74 of Luke 1. If we back away from this. We are accusing God of unfaithfulness. We are saying that God is a liar. If we embrace replacement theology, whether it's traditional Christianity that kicks Israel to the curb or Islam that completely kicks the Bible to the curb, if we embrace any form of replacement theology, we are accusing the God of the universe of unfaithfulness. And how can the universe operate with an unfaithful God? That he would grant unto Israel that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. That's what we saw in Isaiah. That the whole world is coming to Jerusalem. Her, her gates are open 24-7. And anybody can come at any time. And the people are there serving him without fear. And the nation or the kingdom that will not come along, God will destroy that kingdom and that nation. So that these people will be established and able to serve God without fear. That's why Christ came into the earth. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This is the promise. And you, child, this is John now, he speaks to John, is filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we can't turn away from this. this. This is a man 
filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just have the Holy, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is his prophecy under the inspiration of the Spirit. And now he turns to John the Baptist and says, And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. So all of this is going to happen. And John, you're going to go first and prepare the ways. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people. What is this knowledge of salvation? Is it that, you know, I had a tinge of guilt today. I I, I, I sinned and I had a tinge of guilt. And, you know, I, I, ought, to, I ought to get right with God. You know, let, let me say the prayer of salvation. Oh, Lord, I accept you and I want you to be my Lord. And presto, bingo, that's the salvation. Is that what Zechariah is talking about? The salvation is God coming into the earth to fulfill the oath that he made to Abraham. And now, John the Baptist's mission is to bring the knowledge of this salvation unto Israel by the remission of Israel's sins that, that we, we began today with the, the, the psalmist saying, our iniquities are constantly before you. We're lost. And yet, we finish the Psalms and the, the enthronement Psalms, God acting powerfully on behalf of Israel. And so John is going to go first with this great understanding of what God is doing and to bring this knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness. This is Israel. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. These, think of Zechariah 14, verse, verse 1. And, and Christ is coming to undo all of this. And that's the prophecy of this amazing, amazing um, a man of God who was filled with the Holy Spirit when Christ was in the womb and Christ was going to be born six months after his son and he was filled with the prophecy. And we can go from Genesis to Revelation. There's one narrative, one grand narrative in the Bible. And when we understand it, then we can go deep. The deeper we go, the more everything just connects. So what a wonderful, wonderful, uh, just beautiful to read these psalms. Not as time for this sort of singy-songy, singy-songy, don't you love the Lord, and and it's just wonderful to be in the Lord. And No, the psalms are very powerful. And we have to study them as the inspired, powerful word of God. What a powerful God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's coming soon. A little bit of trouble. So we're going to go through this period of trouble. Let's steel ourselves. Let's let's strengthen ourselves. And let's see through all of this that the world is going to be transformed. God is going to be on earth. Jerusalem is going to light up. And all over the world, people are going to come. And we are being invited not just to be grafted into Israel and be a part of all of this, It's bigger than that. You and I, recipients of the Holy Spirit now, we're being invited from all nations and kindreds to be part of the first fruits harvest of Israel. That's what we're a part of. And we're going to help him with the fall harvest of Israel. And then ultimately, the harvest of the whole world. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord. Brethren, God bless.